You're listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn Church, J-Town. At the very beginning of the Bible, we see God's good vision for the world, creation in harmony with humanity, and humanity in harmony with God. Join us for our series, Sacred, Genesis 1 and 2. This morning we're in Genesis chapter 2. I'm going to read our text, and uh, Lyle's going to come up and preach. So if you have a Bible, Genesis chapter 2, we'll be starting in verse 8. Would love if you would stand up um, and read this passage with me. We'll start in verse 8. Hear the word of the Lord. The Lord God planted a garden in Eden in, in the east, and there he placed the man he fo- had formed. The Lord God caused to grow out of the ground every tree pleasing in appearance and good for food, including the tree of life in the middle of the garden, as well as the tree the knowledge of good and evil. A river went out from Eden to water the garden. From there it divided and became a source for four, of four rivers. The name of the first is Pishon, which flows there, through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. Gold from the land, this land is pure. Behalem and Onyx are also there. The name of the second river is Gihon, which flows through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is Tigris, which runs east of Assyria. And the fourth river is Euphrates. Lord God took the man and placed him in the Garden of Eden to, wa- to work it and watch over it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For on that day, you eat from it, you will certainly die. This is the word of the Lord. It's absolutely true and given to you in love. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for amazing events like Trunk or Treat and Bible studies. Thank you for people just stepping up to serve in parking or in candy or through a trunk or through a game. That we may just be a presence of love and kindness and gentleness and hope in the midst of a chaotic world. Father, may you bless us today with the preaching of your word. May this text in Genesis 2 show us the way toward the good life. May we see it with our eyes. Lord, if there are many in this room that are weary, may they be encouraged. Those that are complacent, may they be convicted. Lord, those who need hope, find it. And Father, would you, would you encourage us, would you move us to show this beautiful truth that you are good to a watching world longing for goodness. Bless us, we ask, O oh Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Zach. Uh, I had him read the text this morning because I didn't want to do all those rivers. Amen? <laughs> I don't know what that kind of like jewel is. It starts with a B. I was like, all right, well, it'd be interested in finding what that is. I'm sure somebody in here knows what it is, and I'll feel stupid. At the end of the service, you hey, that, 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 whatever, doesn't matter. But thank you, Zach, for knocking out the reading of the, the rivers there. So my name is Lyle, in case we've never met. I'm one of the pastors here. And just like we've said earlier, just want to say welcome. It's your first time. Just encourage you to make your presence known. You can come find me. I'm trying to get out to the blue start here sign at the end of the service. I would love to, to meet you, get a face with a name. And so um, in case you're new here, we've been 
uh, working through Genesis 1 and 2. We've called this series Sacred. And so what we just try to do is uh, just spend a few weeks kind of marinating in the goodness and the beauty of God. Uh, the Bible doesn't start at Genesis 3. Uh, the fall of man's not the beginning of the Bible. It obviously starts in Genesis chapter 1. And so we just wanted to spend several weeks of just uh, seeing how wonderful and good our Father is and the gifts that he's given to us in his creation and kind of marinate in that a little bit. And we're going to get to Genesis 3 here in a few weeks, but that's what we're, uh, we've been doing uh, over these last several weeks. So what we're going to do uh, the next few weeks, I'm, I'm making a little bit of a shift, all right? So you, we plan these series um, usually about 18 months in advance, and then we really kind of get into the weeds of them about at least two or three months before we jump in. And, and the reality is, is once you get kind of in it, you realize, ah, I don't know if I want to do that. So uh, the, the next two weeks were supposed to be marriage and then relationships in general, the value of them, because we, we begin to kind of see the, the relational element of Genesis 2. And I'm still going to deal with marriage, but the first thing I want to talk about before we get to marriage is to talk about relationships, but more specifically singleness. And so I want to come back next week and talk about the, uh, the goodness of singleness. Uh, sometimes that text uh, can be interpreted in a way that's not really helpful for those people that uh, are single. And I just want to kind of address that topic and talk about it and see the, the beauty of that and the goodness of it also. And, and so it doesn't mean that if you're married, you don't have to show up next Sunday, right? No, 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 no. That message has something for all of us, whether you're single or married. And then the next week, we'll come back and talk about marriage as we see there in 18 through 25. And then we'll land the plane in Genesis 3 and talk about the fall. And then we'll be in Advent and we'll talk about the the good news of Advent, the hope uh, that we have in Christ. Today is another little pivot. Um, originally, when I put together this series, I was not talking about the two trees. And after kind of looking at it, it's like, I need to talk about the two trees because it's kind of a big deal. Uh, the Bible talks about these trees often. Actually, the Bible's book ended by the tree of life. And every kind of, and I may be overstating here, so open-handed posture, tons of grace, but I believe almost every important moment in redemptive history has to do with a tree. Uh, amen, right? I, I may be wrong there, but it's pretty stinking close, right? So I just felt like it's not doing justice to not only the story of Genesis 1 and 2, but the, doing justice to the re redemptive history as a whole if I don't deal with the trees. And so uh, I think it's pretty pretty important that we talk about it. So we're making a little pivot. If I would have known it in advance that I was going to do this, especially on Halloween, maybe I would have dressed up like Groot. Amen. All right. And I just have like one word to say and say, hey, let's pray. We're out of here. But I did not dress up like Groot and I've got a lot of words to talk about. So we're jumping in. So here's what we're doing uh, this morning. I want to dive back into the narrative. And so I just encourage you if you have your own Bible or if you have an app or whatever, I just would have it up. Yes, the passage is on the screen, but if you've got something that you can look at yourself, it'd be great for you because I want to dive back into the text and do our best to kind of understand what these two trees are. What, what's going on here with these two trees? And then I want to land the plane talking a little bit about like um, kind of two truths about humanity that are given to us as we think about these two trees. All right, so that's, that's where we're, we're going. And by God's grace, may he use this to encourage us as well as to challenge and convict us. All right, start off in verse eight. Look what it says here. Uh, the Lord God planted a garden in Eden. And so that word garden there, uh, when, the, um, when we translated the Old Testament in the Greek language, which was the Septuagint, 
the word that they use to translate garden is the word we get paradise from, all right? So that's what you need to think. This garden, paradise. Eden actually literally means luxury, pleasure. So you can, you know, this is a lot of freedom here, but you can literally translate the garden of Eden as a paradise of pleasure, a massive park of joy. And we thought Disney World was amazing, right? It does not compare to the Garden of Eden. He goes on and says, The Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed man that he had formed. And so this garden here is, it serves kind of sort of like a divine sanctuary of sorts. Uh, and the, the garden here, I would say, based on what we see when uh, Zach read about the rivers, you got to imagine this garden kind of set up on a mountain, like a large hill, because it says that out of Eden flows a river, and for a river to flow, it's got to be going, say it out loud, downhill. Yeah, you don't have a river flowing uphill, right? It's going downhill. So just imagine this, this Garden of Eden that's kind of set up almost on a mountain on a hill here. It's, it's kind of a, a dwelling place, a special kind of dwelling place of God on earth. Verse 9, and so the Lord God caused to grow out of the ground every tree pleasing in appearance and good for food, including the tree of life in the middle of the garden, as well as the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And so God caused all kinds of trees to grow up in this garden. And these trees were beautiful to look at. And man, are they not in this season beautiful to look at. Man, we're, we're kind of in peak season with fall. I mean, they're just... Oh my goodness, just blowing up with beauty. And so we just, and that's, that's in a world that's dealing with the curse. <laughs> Can you imagine how much more beautiful the trees are? I, I, it's hard for me to imagine, but even with the trees that are dealing with the curse, they're, oh wow, they're amazing right now. So they're beautiful to look at, and not only beautiful to look at, but they're good to eat. The fruit of these trees, like the flavors, are gonna blow up in your mouth when Adam and Eve would eat of them. And that's my, little bitty interpretation of here. And notice in the middle of the garden, you've got these two trees. You've got the, the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So first of all, let's just briefly talk a little bit about the tree of life. And so I don't know if you're a fan of the Bible Project. Anybody know what I'm talking about when I say the Bible Project? Awesome. If you don't know what it is, just go home, Google it up. Uh, they do a fantastic job of talking about the story of the Bible. It's not just for kids. It's also for adults. Amen. Okay, like four people. You guys got to work with me. It's going to look back and forth. Amen? Amen? There we go. Awesome. Here's the picture that they gave of the tree of life, right? This is not, we don't know this for sure, but it is a, kind of they're using their imagination to, to depict what's going on here. Beautiful little thing there. So the tree of life, right, represents, and I know we have to um, kind of step back and look at the larger narrative, including chapter three here, because we don't have much about the tree of life in just these verses in chapter two. But based on what we see in chapter three, holistically, the tree of life represents God's own life and power that's made available to humanity. It is uh, the giving of eternal life. So this tree obviously is not God because it's a gift from God, but something about God's divine presence and energy is in this tree and the eating of this tree brings about eternal life. That's why we read in chapter three, verse 22 of Genesis, that God had to put angels in front of this tree so that humanity in their fallen state would not go partake of this tree and live forever, which is a mercy 
of God. So the tree is a place where humanity would meet with God because it was in the middle of the garden and the meeting with God, uh, kind of becoming almost one with the presence of God is seen in this image of eating from the tree. It's as if the fruit conveys God's life to humanity. And so think if you want to have another sort of comparison, if you kind of follow redemptive history here, think about the temple. And in the middle of the temple is a place called the Holy of Holies. And the Holy of Holies is where the the very presence of God dwelt in a powerful way. Somewhat similar to what we see here in the Garden of Eden with the tree of life. Now, second tree that we talked about also, it's really important. And I'll tell you why it's important here in a minute. Remember, it's in the middle of the garden too. So you got the tree of life in the middle of the garden. And then you have a second tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil in the middle of the garden. So the first thing we need to know about this tree is this tree is not inherently bad. I think sometimes we have a tendency to read into the text. And because for some of us, we may know the full story of what happens in Genesis 3, that we kind of read into this tree as a bad tree. It's not. This was part of creation. And what did God declare about creation? He said what? Say it out loud. It was good. So this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, as depicted by the Bible Project, here's another little visual. It's, it's good. It's not evil. It's not wicked. It's not sinful. So when they describe this tree as a knowledge of good and evil, what, what is it kind of conveying? What does it mean here? A couple places in the Old Testament when this phrase is used is connected with children in the state of moral immaturity, or another way you can express this as someone that's inexperienced in life. So good and evil, that's why some people translate it good and bad, represents more of kind of beneficial things versus harmful things, things that build up versus things that tear down. And knowing the difference between the two and choosing the one that is more life-giving. So the a small comparison here, right, that, that kind of captures the essence of what this word, this tree means, the knowledge of good and evil, is found in 2 Kings chapter 3, verse 9, when Solomon was asked, what do you want? There's a whole story there. Go read this. Really fascinating story. Say, what do you want? I will give you whatever you want. And this was his request in verse 9. So give your servant a receptive heart to judge your people, and here's the key part, to discern between good and evil. And so what did Solomon ask for? He asked for wisdom. And so in essence, the knowledge of good and evil, this tree represents sort of this wisdom, this this ability to discern between what is good and evil, and this ability to see this is most beneficial, so I'm going to choose this. And remember, the point that I'm trying to make is that this tree is not inherently evil. It's not inherently bad. Actually, I think we can make the argument, wisdom is good. And so remember, both of these trees are located in the middle of garden. They are not in some obscure place, which implies to us from the text that Adam and Eve were walking by these two trees every single day. Which raises questions, right? It's like, ah, can you put that tree over in the corner of the garden, right? We'll see you in just a second. Verse 15, look what happens. 
We kind of skipped a little section about the rivers, which are very important, but that's not our focus today. Uh, not because I don't want to say all those weird names, but because it's not our focus. Verse 15, we read this. The Lord God took man and planted him in the Garden of Eden to work it and watch over it. And we talked a little bit a few weeks ago about what that work it and watch over it means, the, uh, the, the creation mandate that's been given to Adam. But we're moving on here because we're talking about the trees this morning. Verse 16, and the Lord commanded the man. You are free to eat from any tree of the garden. So look, the first direct command from God to humanity is enjoy. It's literally translated eat, eat. If you've got English Standard Version, you probably have surely eat. That, that's because they're trying to put an emphasis on the eating. So the first command from God, and this is including the tree of life, eat, eat. Of all the trees, not one tree, plural, all the trees that are beautiful to look at and their fruit is absolutely amazing. The first command from God to humanity is not, do not. Just sit with that for just a second. I remember... Um, I remember the, the, the kind of the time when, when Kathy and I could leave the house without taking kids. And if you're young parents, that day is going to come. <laughs> you, will, you will make it. But there comes a day when you feel like your kids that are in age, it's like, all right, we could probably leave for a couple hours. And I don't think the house will be on fire. And I think everybody will still be alive. All right. So you just kind of test the waters. And I do remember this. We would give a long list of what not to do. There wasn't a lot of, well, you can do this, you can do, no, the list was do not, do not, do not, do not, do not have fun, right? <laughs> That's what God does here. His first command to humanity, enjoy. I think that's well-deserving just kind of sitting with and pondering and reflecting upon. That's who, through Jesus Christ, we have the privilege to call Father. Enjoy. Enjoy. Eat, eat. Except for one tree. Verse 17. But you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for on the day you eat from it, you will certainly die. And that can be translated, die, die. That's why the emphasis certainly, or English Standard Version says, surely you will die. So think about this, guys. One no, one no in a world full of yeses. If you eat of this tree, you will die, die. And we learn in chapter three, it wasn't immediate physical death, but death did enter into the world that included our physical death. Death entered the world sociologically, psychologically, and emotionally. Death began to kind of have its way throughout all of humanity. But look at this. Notice God does not place the tree of life off limits. If you obey the command to not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, then you can get the tree of life. That's not what the story says. Are you following me? 
The eating of the tree of life was not a reward for staying away from the tree of knowledge and good and evil. No, the tree of life was a gift. They don't, they don't earn this. Their, their, their access to the tree of life was not conditional. As long as you don't eat from this tree, then you can have access to the tree of life. No, it's, it's a gift. It's free. This is yours. You can enjoy it. But if you eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, then you will forfeit. You will forfeit your ability or your opportunity to receive eternal life. The tree of life and the eating of it is not a reward from doing good. As one commentator says, the reward is given before the humans have done anything at all. It's not a reward. It's a gift, the gift of eternal life. So God's longing, God's desire, God's want for all of humanity is to eat, eat, right? That was his first command. Enjoy, enjoy every tree that I've given to you. His longing and desire for humanity was not to die, die, but to eat, eat. So I don't know. I mean, I think when you look at this story, there's all kinds of questions that come up. And I think those, I mean, I think this is the second thing you can probably sit for, with for a little while. I'd love for you to kind of write out what kind of questions come to your mind. Um, but we can't deal with all those. But there is one that seemed to rise to the top for me this week. And that one is this, if the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is not inherently bad in and of itself, but actually good because it gives us wisdom, then why did God forbid them from eating it? You hear what I'm saying? So if the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is not an evil, wicked tree, and in fact, I mean, I can make, you can build a larger argument. I just made a little bitty argument. It's actually wisdom and wisdom is good, right? Being able to discern what is good and bad. That's a good thing. You want your children to be wise. So why did God forbid them from eating it? I get chapter two does not give us the full answer of that. And I understand that what I'm trying to do is take the, the full story of the Bible and read back into chapter two and help us a better understand what most likely is going on here with open hands to know that all right, I may be a little off, but I, I don't think I am. I'm, I'm trying to be faithful to what the Bible holistically says here. So here's how I'd answer that. Adam and Eve did not pop up on the scene fully mature in all things. Adam and Eve had learning to do similar, not exactly the same as what the writer of Hebrews says about Jesus, that he had to learn obedience. So God, as one writer says, wanted to protect, to shelter the humans from good and evil till presumably they can learn wisdom from him so that they can become wise rulers of the garden. God wants to make them knowers of good and evil, but on his timing. When he is ready to let them know. So that's why some commentators say that the prohibition may have been temporary. It may have been more not yet, not a hard no. Because wisdom is good. 
and something to be desired and big and wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord as the writer of Proverbs teaches us. And the fear of the Lord is not seen in how afraid you are of God, but actually it is seen in how you listen to him, how you obey him, how you trust him. And that, listen to me, fear of the Lord must be learned. So for humanity, guys, look, this is an everyday experience for them. Because every day, as they're going to the tree of life, they're also passing by the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the fruit looks good. I mean, it's not some nasty looking fruit, right? I had to talk about in the nine o'clock, kind of like side note here real fast. And I couldn't remember it. I still can't remember it. It's like, is it crab apples? Is that what was said to me, Zach? You don't know. You weren't even listening for crying out loud. Holy cow. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But there's uh, just these. You probably weren't even in there. Uh, but you know, I'm talking about those little nasty little green things. Some people call them like spider something. You guys know what I'm talking about. They come from a tree. They're, they, look, they, just, they look like I got a bunch of zits all over this piece of fruit. You following me? You know what I'm talking about? What's it called? Hedge apple. Yes. Thank you very much. Yes. Oh my goodness. Those are, I don't have a clue why they're created. I may be part of the fall. I don't know because they're the nastiest looking things I've ever seen in my life. So the reason why I'm bringing that up, that's not what the tree of knowledge of good and evil looked like. That fruit was beautiful and it was desirable. Every day they would walk by that. And maybe, I know I'm speculating a little bit here, but maybe that fruit was a little bit more easily accessible. But God said, if I eat it, it will kill me. So the question almost every day for Adam and Eve is, will I listen? So for them to experience eating from the tree of life, they are going to have to walk by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because both trees were in the middle of the garden and trust what God is saying about that tree. Even though it looked good, even though it may have been easier to get, even though it seems like it's the right thing, am I going to avoid this tree's fruit so I can still have access to life? Or will I choose to decide on my own what is good and what is evil? I think that's what Moses is wanting us to kind of feel, this tension. He's wanting us to ask that kind of question, get into the story a little bit. And then we see in Genesis 3, the answer to what I just said. But for now, I'm not diving into that, all right? You can go home and, you know, get ahead and read Genesis 3, and you'll find out what happens with the story. Um, but that's not where I'm going today. I want to end our time together talking about what I think are kind of two truths that speak to a humanity uh, in relationship to these two trees, the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The first one is this, is that I think this story speaks to our, um, and I don't think I'm overstating this, all right, because I see it in my own life. I think it speaks to our everyday experience. 
This story of these two trees, the tree of life, the tree of life which represents trusting God for what is good and evil, or the tree of knowledge of good and evil where I will take, I will take and decide on my own what is good and evil. Those two trees hypothetically are, are is, is a kind of our human experience every single day. As one writer put it, the reason why the tree is in the garden is that it is a powerful image of the nature of all of human experience. Every good thing in my life is also matched by an equal or greater opportunities to ruin it. And how do I ruin it, Lyle? By taking my own knowledge of good and evil. The tree of knowing good and evil represents a choice that is before us at all times. This is our human experience. This is my experience. This is your experience. The two trees pose a question for all of humanity, and you deal with this question on a daily basis every single day. And those questions are, will I trust? Will I rely on God for wisdom, for what is life? Or, or will I defy God's warnings and define life, define what is good, what is bad, what is evil, what is wrong, what brings life by my own understanding? Because that is the experience of our life every single day. Tim Keller, in his good little book on Proverbs, it's a devotional book if you've never read it, encourage you if you're looking for something to do devotionally. Man, it's a, such a good book. He says this, our culture tells us to submit everything to our understanding, to question everything, including the Bible. But everyone must choose something to not question. Great statement. Everyone must choose something to not question. Modern people don't question their right and ability to question everything. So everyone is living by faith in some ultimate authority and his encouragement, challenge, call for us is to make God's word your ultimate authority, not our reason and intuition. This is our daily experience. Am I going to trust in my own wisdom, thoughts, what's good, what's bad, what's the right way to go, what's the wrong way to go? Am I going to trust in me? Or will I let God define that? Sometimes I, I, um, I wrestle with how much to share as far as what's going on in my world. Part of that is because I don't want to um, make you feel like you've got to do something, right? I'm just, I'm trying my best as appropriately as it, it is behind this to let you in a little bit and let you see how I'm trying to interact with this word, right? I'm not saying this is what you need to do. I'm just trying to say, this is what I'm doing. And so I'm hesitant, but I'm going to go for it. Not sure how it landed in the nine but we'll see how it lands in 11. And Lord willing, I still got a job tomorrow. Amen? That's right. Um, 
It's interesting, over these last several months, um, I've just noticed um, more insecurities in my life that have just kind of risen to the top. More, like, in ways that I'm going, I thought I was over that, right? In ways that it um, induces even this weird shame where you just feel like you're a 13-year-old again. And I, and I, I get it, Right? These last 18 to 24 months, I mean, the kind of decisions that we were making as a team together and those decisions were on a weekly basis sometimes. And unfortunately, no matter what decision we made, some people were really happy and send you an email. Thank you, thank you, thank you. This is a great job. And then you got others send you an email. This is the craziest thing I've ever heard before. Blah, 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 blah. We're out of here. I'm a human being, right? I sat down with, uh, I don't even know what you would call Rick or whatever his name was. I don't know what his name is. doesn't matter. But he was kind of evaluating me and Zach together, talking about us as we work together as a team. And I hope it's okay for me to say this, Zach. I didn't ask for permission. It's just coming to me right now. So ask for forgiveness a little bit later. But he described Zach as a rubber band, right? Like a rubber band or what, what do you say? A rubber wall, right? And then I'm a sponge. Which we work great together, Amen. And on Sundays, I'm just kind of walking with Zach everywhere I go. All right, be my, be my rubber ball, Zach. Love you, brother. It's just hard, guys. And sometimes it, it raises a ton of insecurities. And you, I just thought I wasn't really dealing with. I remember reading a book a while back, and I mean, I'd recommend you read this book, but you need to read it with, with some discernment. There's not everything in here in that book, I would say, yeah, embrace. But it's a book by a guy named Ronald Rollheiser, who wrote a book called Sacred Fire. And one of the things that's in this book that was really, really helpful for me, it just kind of divides up uh, your seasons of life and what it is that you're, you're kind of dealing with or, or how you're growing in maturity in these certain different seasons of life. In the season of life that I'm currently in, he would say that, that the battle or the way to walk in maturity or what you're going toward is you're in a season where you're giving your life away so that others can flourish. See, Tack on a 24-month period where you feel like every decision you make, everybody, somebody's mad and angry about it. You've got 50 to 100 people that have left your church. And then you're processing this call to give your life away so that someone else can flourish. And that just raises all kinds of insecurities, does it not? So once again, what's the human experience, right? I know I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to simplify everything, but guys, this is, this is what it is. The human experience are these two trees, right? Will I trust what God says leads to life? That even though living into this may feel like a lot of loss and really hard and difficult, but will I trust that it's actually the path toward life? Or will I choose what is good, what is evil.
Well, I decide, hey, don't forget about me. Which whenever that little hand goes up like that, right, I would put before you, I'm just walking down a path that's going to eventually lead to death. Death in relationships, death in leadership, all kinds of death comes with that. But I'm telling you right now, when you're you're faced with it, it's like, ah, this seems way better. I don't know what it is for you, but I know myself well enough that every single one of us in this room are dealing with something where these two trees are at play. Who am I going to listen to? Who am I going to trust? Some of you are angry. How are you going to respond? What are you going to do with that anger? Some of you are lonely. Here's the two trees. Some of you are struggling in your marriage. Who am I going to listen to? Some of you have a really, really hard relationship right now. Some of you are in work situations that are really, really difficult. Some of you are dealing with some really difficult emotions. I'm just, I'm not trying to make things easy or try it or give simple answers. I'm just trying to expose the human experience. Well, I grab the fruit and say, this is what I'm going to do. I will decide. Or will I grab the fruit that says, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to let you define what is good, what is bad, and walk in that path. Look, you will face this this week. (laughs) If you haven't already, you will. It's human experience. And then lastly, and I'll end with this real quick. Not only does it speak to our human experience or all of our experiences, I think it also speaks to our condition, the human condition. As one author puts it, he says, we come in this world gorging on the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And all he's doing there is he is exposing what all of us experience is that all of us have this bent something deeply wrong with us to where we're always bent toward, I'm going to choose. I'm going to decide. I know better. I'm going to do this. Instead of a bent toward trusting God, that, it's exposing the very condition of our hearts. And, and guys, look, I don't think it takes a whole lot of introspection. I don't think you have to be in church to figure this out. If you just spend some time reflecting on yourself, you see this in you. You see that there's something deeply wrong. And when Jesus showed up on the scene, he gave us a more radical view of sin than even what was common in that time because he internalized it. He spoke about the human condition, that there's something deeply wrong with humanity. That's why it's way easier to grumble. That's why it's way easier to complain. It's way easier to gossip and enjoy it. It's way easier to argue. It's way easier to withhold forgiveness and hold a grudge and pray for some kind of revenge. Even though we would never say this out loud to someone, it's definitely at play in our hearts. Amen? And I know it's hard to say amen to that, but it is. It's true. 
It's easier to criticize. It's easier to make a nasty, horrible comment on social media. It's always easier to say something really negative. Look, guys, we are both sinned against and sinner. We are both wounded. And I know we don't like this word, but the reality is we are wicked. There's something deeply wrong with humanity. That's why in Luke 2, when Jesus shows up on the scene, when the angels show up, their announcement of this joy to the world is what? Unto you is born this day in the city of David a, say it out loud, a savior. Not a great moral teacher that, hey, if I just get you the right stuff, then you're going to be okay. No, a savior. And that's for every single one of us in this room, every one of us, no matter where you live. You can live in a thousand square foot home or in some kind of massive home in Lake Forest. It does not matter where you live. It does not matter how good you think you are. Look, guys, if you would just take some time to look at your own core of who you are, the condition of your heart, you would see that your need, your greatest need is you need a Savior. I, I need a Savior. And he accomplished that salvation when he climbed up a hill, right? There you go. That thinks about Genesis 2. The Garden of Eden was on a hill. He climbed up a hill and he died on what? Say it out loud. A tree. Yeah, thank you. Yes, it was a cross, right? We, we translate that. But if you go to Peter in 1 Peter, he specifically calls it a tree, Because of his death and resurrection and ascension to the right hand of the Father, all of us, all of us are invited back into relationship and, and healing of our own souls so that we can have communion and fellowship with God like it was from the very beginning. All of us need this. All of us, including me. See, salvation is not primarily about getting you into a better place. It's not just primarily about getting you to heaven. We've been sold a wrong bill of goods if that's all we think about salvation. No, salvation is primarily about making you a different kind of person. Someone that God had in mind of you being recreated in the very image of his son. That's what he's after. Yes, it's a long process, amen? Doesn't happen on day one, but there's coming a day in the new heavens and the new earth we'll have our glorified bodies and we will no longer deal with the issues of the fall. We will be as we are supposed to be, human beings made in the very image of his son, Jesus Christ. All of us need this, not just those that are really bad, no, those that think they're really good sometimes need it more. Hmm. It's about the healing of our souls. The healing of the inner core of our being and coming back into union with God. So that tree, like these trees kind of show the human condition in our absolute need for a Savior whose name is Jesus. Let's pray. And so just for a few minutes, I always like to kind of give us some space to process, to think. We're always in a rush. I just want to give us a chance to be quiet and still and maybe just ponder a couple questions. One being, where do you need salvation? Where? This isn't just for those that are 
what we might call not Christians. This is for all of us. Where do you need salvation? And another question is where do you need to trust the voice of God? Just take a moment. Hey, I'm Lyle Drury and the lead pastor at Sojourn Church, J-Town. Thanks for listening. We are here to reach people with the gospel, build them up as a church, and send them into the world to be a faithful, loving presence. For more sermons, info about our church, or ways you can support our ministry, visit sojournchurch.com slash J-Town.